Dear listeners, it's your friend Tig. You've reached the end of season two. I've put over 75 episodes of Don't Ask Tig into your ears. That's a big deal. And I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you to all of you for tuning in, spending your time with me, and sharing your problems, secrets, and stories. I hope you've learned a few things along the way, or even if you learned absolutely nothing, at least maybe had some laughs. Don't Ask Tig will be taking a brief summer break, but we will be back soon with all new episodes. And remember, I'm still on the road with my Hello Again tour, likely headed to a city near you, like maybe San Diego on July 23rd. Get your tickets at tignotaro.com. Now, let's start the show. I feel like these days people give like one good piece of advice and they're like, I should write a book. Where it's like, "Uh, it's actually important to give good advice and hard to Mm -hmm. because everybody is going through a lot of these days. And it's like, it's easy to, especially being middle-aged, I think, Mm -hmm. I always say a lot of stuff like that's not going to be a big deal later on, Mm -hmm. which is not good advice because it's like, if someone's asking you now, they need it now. Well, guess who maybe gave some (laughs) advice and now has an advice podcast? (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Is that how this all happened to you? (laughs) I guess. Look, we're here. No matter how we got here, we're here, okay? This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro reminding you, stay sexy, don't get murdered, and don't ask me for advice. <laughs> With me now is a stand-up comedian, producer, and podcaster who co-wrote a book called Stay Sexy, Don't Get Murdered. She was head writer on The Ellen DeGeneres Show, mm-hmm. a writer for the FX series Baskets, and is co-host of the podcast My Favorite Murder one of the most popular podcasts of all time. My pal, Karen Kilgariff, thanks for joining me on my podcast today. It's my pleasure to be here. You know, this is what I like. It's like kind of organized hanging out Mm -hmm. for the quarantine set. It's a produced hanging out. It's kind of how I prefer my hangouts, because if you don't have a producer to kind of cut you off at an hour, Mm -hmm. there might be... You know, friendship. Yeah, there might be a lot of burdensome relationships that start up. So keep it formal. That's what I say. Uh huh. Yeah, that's what you've told me since the day I met. So you. many. Times. Let's keep this formal. Hey, stand back at least four feet. And we have. I feel like we've kept it formal, but I think we do like each other. Yes. I feel like you know we would both be sad if we heard bad news about the other person. Yes. But like you don't swing by my house unexpectedly. Don't you think though with kids it's different because kids just have such a set time. It's like four is soccer and they have to eat by six because 
blank happens at seven or whatever. Well, first of all, Stephanie's going to be so excited to hear that we finally have a schedule for our children. So thanks for throwing that together. Somebody needed to give you other options too on different days. (laughs) No, I think we're good. We just needed somebody to do that. The after school planning, we haven't done it for years. Are you the type of parents that like it's 1130 and you're like, boys, you really have to go to bed. This is crazy. No, our son, Finn, He's really into baseball and baseball stats. So he's very into numbers. And so he's very into time, time zones, schedules. Mm. And so he will be like, we should probably go up for our bath now. And Max, (laughs) who is almost twice Finn's size, has no reason to listen to Finn, will be like, I wanted to watch another show. And Finn's like, it's getting late, Max. And he's like, oh. And then they go up. And they put themselves in the bath. And then Finn's like, we got to brush our teeth and we got to get to bed. It's almost eight o'clock. He stays on a schedule and Max doesn't know he's the Hulk yet. (laughs) And so he's ruled by Finn. It is the cutest. And Stephanie and I are always like, wait until he knows that he doesn't have to listen to him. Yeah, the dawning of that Uh information for him is going to be amazing. But I also like picturing while... While Finn is running the show like that, like you and Stephanie are like street, you know, binge watching something like, shh, keep it down over there. Take care of that business upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about it elsewhere. Take this nonsense up to your room. (laughs) Hey, Max, we got to get out of here. We got to get our nonsense upstairs. That's really the cutest. It is so cute. And I already apologize for going on about them. No, I like it. I like that you're a parent. I think it's really, it gives me a lot of like, I won't say hope that's a little dramatic, but it's kind of just that thing of like, oh, we don't have to just be like comics riffing at a party the rest of our lives. Like more can come, more can bloom from all of this. Yeah. And it's not even just with kids, but there's so much blooming in life which Mm -hmm. is exciting. It's true. I'm thankful for it. Me too. And I was just on your, as we were talking about earlier, I was on both of your podcasts on Do You Need a Ride with my old, not just roommate, but almost legal spouse. (laughs) We lived together for almost 10 years. What a pair. I mean, (laughs) if you thought Max and Finn were funny, you should see what these two, you're like, come on, Chris, I think you should get off the floor. We probably should write some new jokes. Um, Chris Fairbanks, your co-host of Do You Need a Ride? Yeah. He and I did a show together in Boise, Idaho years ago, and we had so much painful fun crying, laughing, and he was going through a breakup and I was just signing papers for a new house in Venice. And I was like, do you want to just live with me? And he was like, sure. And then he just (laughs) moved into my house into a room that wasn't even a bedroom, but it's where he lived. Yeah. And then I was on My Favorite Murder. So um, (laughs) we're kind of back to back, those two eras, you living with Chris, and then that brought you to your appearance on My Favorite Murder. Exactly. And now here you are. And now here I am. What would you say about murder keeps you coming back, as well as all of the listeners that you have? I feel like, first of all, it was like my mom was a big reader, and so she always had like paperbacks on the nightstand. Mm -hmm. She was a psychiatric nurse, the head nurse of a psychiatric hospital all week long. So on the weekend, she'd be like, I'm going to lay up in the bed, and I'm going to drink like tea and just plow through whatever... Anne Rule just wrote, or I remember her reading Jaws in like 
a day. She was oh. like that kind of person of like, I just need to decompress and just basically read and escape. But I basically was like, what's so good about these books? And so mm-hmm. then I started sneaking them when I was like probably too young to be reading the latest Anne Rule, like The Stranger Beside Me, about how she worked with Ted Bundy and thought he was great <laughs> and tried to set him up with her friend. And you were how old? Like 10, I think. Wow. When I was a teenager, or like an adolescent, I should say, mm-hmm. everyone read Judy Bloom books, but then like somewhere in like late 70s, early 80s, Judy Bloom wrote Wifey, which was like an adult book that was dirty from page one. And I shouldn't say dirty. That's so Catholic of me. It was, you know, <laughs> naughty, erotic. I don't know. All I know is that I stole it off my mom's nightstand and read it and was like, are you kidding me? It was like a complete eye opener yeah. of what are these adults getting up to? So I think I got into like that it was all forbidden, mm-hmm. but especially those and rule books were just like, once you were reading it, it was like, oh, this is real. And this really happened to someone. And I think the first Anne Rule book I read was the one about Diane Downs, who was a woman who killed her children because her boyfriend want, didn't want kids. And it is one of the, as a kid <laughs> reading it, you're just like, sorry, what? Like, this is possible in the world. And yeah. she was, you know, a complete, I believe, like diagnosed psychopath. So she just didn't kind of care. And it was like whatever she wanted all the mm-hmm. time. That story hooked me in, and Anne Rule's writing hooked me in. And and then the idea that that's when I knew I had suspected before, but then I really knew they were all keeping stuff from me, and they mm-hmm. were not telling me the truth all the time. Or they were like, adults knew stuff that kids didn't know. Yeah. And so I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know what they knew. Yeah. But you're clearly drawn to not just knowing what adults know, but – murder and not everyone has the same upbringing as you so what what is drawing everybody to this well there's you know lots of answers but the one i was thinking about most recently is it's a really good way to control the horror that you take in in your mm. life and especially lately like things are very bad and scary and threatening so i think there's a way of looking at true crime and going like okay i'm going to sit here and for an hour i'm just focusing on this And I can kind of control the anxiety level and I can, it'll go up and it'll come down. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm in charge as opposed to the way everything else actually works. Do you think there's any part where people can make themselves feel normal by looking at other people's cuckoo? I think absolutely where you're like, I had this shitty upbringing. Both my parents worked and we were home by ourselves after school. And it's like, oh, really? Did you know about (laughs) Diane Downs' children? Because she shot them and one survived and actually had to go to court against her as a child. Like, it's a context setter. It's a reality check. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of those things that really all fall under the category of like anxiety – alleviators Mm -hmm. in a very strange, ironic way. I know for myself, that's what I walk away from when I'm watching any sort of true crime or documentary. And you're just like, what? What? What?" And then you go back to your life and you're like, things are all right. Yeah. You're like, oh, all the doors are locked and uh, we're good. We're First of all, we have doors. Yes. And they are locked. Yes. 
One of the major themes on your podcast is that women often get killed for being polite. Would you say that your advice to women is not to worry so much about politeness? Or I'm sure you're familiar with Gavin DeBecker. Yes. And the book, The Gift, the Gift of, of Fear. Fear. Yeah. And I remember reading that years ago, and he talked a lot about that, where people won't cross the street and listen to their gut because they don't want to offend somebody. Yes. We said early on, and it was just essentially like politeness, because story after story that we would tell, it would come up where someone would, exactly what you said, get the sense, I'm in danger, or I don't like this person, I can't explain why. Uh And instead of following that and getting out or getting away or telling another person, they stay on the date or they stay in the car or whatever, they don't lock the car. Like That's one that gets me in terms of like how much women are told and talk to about their behavior. And like, it's unattractive if you're like that. Or there's these very strange ways that I think society has kind of restricted women where that's actually a concern of like, this stranger that's actually scaring me might think I'm a bitch, therefore I'm not going to protect myself. Mm -hmm. Like if you really just lay that out, it's absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. So it's just that idea, I think after the sixth story that we read where there was some piece of that of I was worried about how it would look. It's just like, yeah, f- that. Because who gives a sh- Lock your door and peel out. Yeah. Or do what you need to do. And it was kind of surprising because I think the upbringing I had, that was very normal to know that that was my right to do. And I didn't have to worry about how it looked or mm-hmm. what anyone's opinion was. But I think there's a lot of young women that are raised exactly the opposite way of like, go kiss your uncle, Mm -hmm. do the thing that you think is gross because it's polite or whatever. Right. My upbringing was not perfect by any stretch of anybody's imagination, but I am endlessly thankful that my mother would always encourage me to tell anyone to go to hell that had a problem with me or that I, (laughs) if I was uncomfortable, they can go to hell, (laughs) tell them to go to hell. You know, and it's just like it's embedded in who I am. And I feel like it's been life saving in certain ways that I'll never know about, probably. Right. It's almost like it, it set in you this kind of like almost like these guardrails. Mm-hmm. My mother did the same thing. It was, I think she used to call it like a healthy disrespect because my mom was an only child. Both her parents were alcoholics. So she kind of had to raise herself in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so she was very much like, uh, just because it's an adult doesn't mean you have to listen to them. I remember one time we had a, my friend's mom was, she was pretty nuts. And we went down, (laughs) it was one of those classic kid things where like, it made perfect sense to us. Mm -hmm. We were walking down her hill because we were out in the country. And the kids from the cross street, we're walking up this field and we kind of met in the middle. We all went to the same school and we met in the middle at this huge hole. And it was like (laughs) easily 25 feet across. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know if like the farmer nearby was digging a hole for like to bury dead cows. Who knows what they were doing, but it was just a big hole. And we all kind of were standing around it and like looking at it like, wow. And then it started raining and we're like, everybody in the hole. So we all got in there and just started mud fighting. And it was like an hour of absolute joy. Like it was one of the most fun. Why didn't you call me? 
1977. Um, I, I'll never forget. It was me and Heidi Lilly, Bonnie Conover, Kevin Conover, like the kids in this neighborhood. Because it was all like when we met there, it was very coincidental. But it was also kind of like, are we are we in a fight? Like, is this good or bad? Like, no one was sure. Yeah. And then suddenly it was just like, it's the party of a lifetime. But then when we got out of the hole and we tried to walk back to the house, my friend's mom was standing on the back porch and she was enraged. Like, she snapped and she was like, you little Get in this house right now. And I was like, I stopped. I'd never heard an adult say the F word. Adults did not speak like that to kids in our house, like ever. And it really shook me. And we got, she she screamed at us like all through getting our muddy clothes off and the whole thing. And then my mom came to pick me up and she's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you so quiet? Because of course I was never quiet. And I started crying. I was like, so-and-so called us whatever and by that point we were at my aunt jean's house and my mother was like what and she got so pissed and my cousin cheryl who was like 17 at the time Mm -hmm. was like you should tell her to fuck off (laughs) and then my mom went and called this woman was like if you ever talk to my daughter like that again and it was this thing where it's like oh yeah it doesn't matter if i got mud all over my clothes it doesn't matter if what we did was the dumb kid thing you don't get to talk to me like that and i don't have to take that from you. Right. It was a very empowering thing to be fought for in a way of like, I don't give a what they did. uh You're in the wrong. Never again. Yes. I got to witness things like that where I was told in action and words, no one gets to treat you that way. Mm -hmm. And it was a huge advantage, I think. That's great. Stephanie told me this really funny story because we were watching a cartoon with our sons and there was like the bad guy that was like, you know, and really scary looking. And Stephanie said, Oh my gosh, I just remembered when I was little, there was some show we were watching with a scary looking bad guy. And my mom goes, Oh, what is this? Why are they making a bad guy look like this? Bad guys look like dads, businessmen, your neighbor. Quit teaching people and kids that the bad guy looks and acts like that. I mean, that's the thing that it feels like they can't get through the average person's head Mm -hmm. of like, yeah, the bad guy or woman could be a teacher at the school. It's like they hide in plain sight. That's the whole game of those people. They're not always dragging their knuckles with rotten teeth going, no, I'm going to get you. (laughs) (laughs) Karen, it's... I was going to say, sadly, time for listener questions. Sadly, time for but, the point of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I love getting to this point, but I also love talking to you. Are you ready to give advice? I am. Okay. First up, we have a listener who needs help finding their voice. And Karen, you might be just the person to help with their particular problem. Okay. Anna writes... Sometimes when I'm tired or when I talk to my parents on the phone or when I ask a favor of anyone, I slip into a weird high-pitched voice that my partner calls a quote-unquote baby voice. It's creepy, and I think it makes me sound like a serial killer. Any advice on how to kill the habit? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, it's funny because I talk about this. Well, I noticed it in myself, my voice when I was telling the truth 
and when I was not. And I noticed Mm -hmm. when I fell in love with Stephanie that it was very different than relationships before because I would speak Mm -hmm. about them. And this is nothing against anybody, but it was just where I was. But I would speak in this tone where I was like, yeah, it's good. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we'll we'll see. And and then when I (laughs) fell in love with Stephanie... And somebody would ask, my voice was so direct. I was like, she is the most incredible person. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. And that was just like the most honest place where my voice would fall right there. Yes, because my assessment of that is that your internal truth doesn't need any extra. So when you have that voice, it's you're dealing with something where you feel you need to hide who you really are maybe, or that you're not safe to actually be there authentically because it's fight, flight, freeze, and then there's fawn where when you fawn, you're trying to make yourself more appealing to the person so they don't whatever cause you harm in any way. So that's one of the things of like your voice going up, you becoming, you know, like shrinking down a little bit, curling your shoulders forward, like having small posture Mm -hmm. or whatever. It's a way of saying, don't hurt me without actually saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. So I think Anna has the kind of anxiety that might make her feel she needs to do that before she talks to that person. She needs to actually figure out what the problem is. Yeah. It's really fascinating when people change their voices because there's a few people in my life and I hope they're listening. Um, <laughs> when they have to say certain things, they do change their voice or they'll say it in a weird accent <laughs> or in a weird character. Yes. And I often am thinking, I wonder why they're uncomfortable right now. Like, what is it about what they're saying is making them so deeply uncomfortable that they're changing their voice? Yes. It is something that Anna should look at. And I know she's listening going, uh, yeah, I know. This is looking at I'm it. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> you fix it. My ex-husband used to do an impression of me when I had to call. If I had to call to fix a problem, say like I had to return shoes at Zappos or whatever, but there was a, such a problem that I had to actually call and talk to mm-hmm. somebody on the phone. He would do this impression where you go, oh, my name's Karen. And I know that, I know. Like th- that I would start at such a strangely high babyish pitch because I was going in knowing it wasn't going to work. Like, I know they're not going to give me my money back or I know they're not going to help me. The thing I hate the most in the world is asking for help and not getting it. Yes, It's like, I should have just done this myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm bringing a lot of feelings to a very standard like phone call or exchange that the average person's like, who gives a shit if the operator at Zappos thinks you're irresponsible or whatever, (laughs) like you'll get through it. But it's almost like this kind of, I want this thing and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get it. So I'm trying any way I can. Yes. Anna, I don't know if that's advice uh, other than to just think about it. Try and figure out where this might be coming from because that I think will lead you to making a change. What if Anna makes a list of the names of the people that she feels her voice goes up around Mm -hmm. and the people that she can have her normal voice that she doesn't even think about it with? Mm -hmm. And then she invites all those people on the high voice list to a dinner party. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Clue, although they know she's the one that invited them. Anna. (laughs) Anna. That's straight out of Karen Kilgariff's whispery mouth. (laughs) 
We wish you good luck with your baby voice. Or you could actually go more into it and try to get it even higher and be like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well be like, don't go for like a toddler, go for like an infant. Ooh, and she could put on a bonnet, wear a diaper, <laughs> and hold a rattle. But have a cigar like the cartoon baby that was a mafia yes. guy dressed like a baby. Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, there we go. I think we fixed everything. Solved. Karen, let's take a break, but stay put because we'll be back shortly with more questions. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Janae Desmond-Harris, a.k.a. Dear Prudence, and I want you to tell me about all your problems. Each week on Slate's Dear Prudence podcast, I'm here to tackle your questions about relationships, sex, work, family, and beyond, all with the help of an expert guest. We'll help you navigate it all. Whether you're a teen dealing with parents, an adult looking to spice up your sex life, or you just need some validation that you're not losing it, we're here to listen and to offer some guidance. Need help? Just ask Prudy. New episodes every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Karen, this next one is from a listener who needs help figuring out the psychology of their partner. Oh. LK writes, my beloved spouse and I get along fantastically, except for one thing. Anytime I recommend a show, book, article, etc. to her, some mm. switch goes off in her brain that makes her avoid that thing like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> she takes other people's recommendations, just not mine. She can't yeah. really explain why. But whenever I mention I've really loved something and suggest she check it out, she smiles and nods. But I can see in her eyes she's thinking, <laughs> well, now that thing is dead to me. I will shun it for the rest of my days. <laughs> Why, Tig? Why is she like this? Please feel free to speculate freely. I told her I really like your show, so she is definitely not listening. <laughs> well, LK, aren't you a funny person? 
It's such a real problem. That is so true. Oh my gosh. One of my favorite books, and I had the author on Don't Ask Tig, Martha Beck wrote Mm -hmm. The Way of Integrity. And I could not recommend it enough to Stephanie. I was like, read (laughs) this book. It is so good. It just changed my life in so many ways. And I felt like I could see Stephanie connecting to a lot of the same topics. And she just, nope, wouldn't touch the thing. (laughs) And meanwhile, she always has a stack of books up to the ceiling, always reading a book, wouldn't touch that book. And then uh, I'd come in in town and still nothing. Did you read Martha Beck's book? No. And uh, I will. And then wouldn't. And then one time, oh, she read Martha Beck's book. And she was like, I can't believe I waited this long to read The Way of Integrity. But then also (laughs) she recommends things to me. And I just am like, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, for me, it's a matter of like, when on earth am I going to have time to watch an entire series that lasted for seven years, you know? And she'll be like, I'll watch The Sopranos all over again with you. And I'm like, I, uh, it's all, it's all too much. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not just, and maybe this is a piece of it. I'm thinking of me and my sister doing this because I ignore her all the time. <laughs> and then I totally come around seven years later. I'm like, oh my God, Friday Night Lights was good. And she's like, it's too late. <laughs> but I think it's because when a person doesn't just recommend, but like, please, you have to, yeah. then what you're doing is giving them A, a homework assignment, and B, Pretty much that person knows if they're not coming back with the same opinion, then that's a problem area. Mm. So it could be a person that's like, how about we keep all this neutral and we don't have a disagreement about the thing you love that I might not love as much as you. Yeah, that makes sense. And I just think it's probably pretty common in a relationship, which is hilarious. Cause in the beginning, if somebody says, you got to read this, you'd be reading it oh. immediately. And you'd call the next day with no, and be like, I love this book. And here I've, right. I've dog-eared <laughs> all of the pages and highlighted. Um, and I would love to discuss with you, your favorite parts. It's my favorite thing when you have a crush on a person <laughs> secretly and they mention a thing uh-huh. and it's just like, well, watch me become the expert on this thing. <laughs> or just like, it's a very creepy, it's like kind of parallel to stalking where it's just like you're trying to slightly slip into their skin of like, I like it too. Yes, that's my <laughs> me thing too. too. Yes, me, me too. too. Yes. I, lo- I was Completely. just about to say that, but you be I- me too. And- <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Listen, LK, I don't know. There's not advice in there. It just basically... You're not alone. Yeah, you're not alone. And that's just how it is. But your um, question was really funny. It was really... It was. It touched on a thing that I think happens in almost every kind of relationship, too. Mm -hmm. Like my... Like sibling... You know what I mean? Every sibling, spouse, kind of like where it's just like, don't... It's... I I have had a life standing don't tell me what to do attitude yeah. and it applies to anything and everything. Okay. Well, I mean, including <laughs> I just books. wanted uh, it to end in this awkward quiet <laughs> moment where this you're like nobody tell me what to do. <laughs> and we'll fade out there, all right? Okay, maybe try some reverse psychology and recommend your spouse not listen to my podcast or not. Hey read a book, right? 
Yeah, burn books in your backyard and see what that kind of conversation kicks off. Do that for the environment, LK. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break to answer a question that came in our therapy etiquette box. This segment is where we answer those awkward questions we all have as people getting the professional help we need and deserve and is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Emma writes, how do I tell my therapist that I don't think our sessions, our dynamic, I guess, are working for me? I feel weird because they're supposed to be the expert, but I've got feedback I want to give and I don't want to offend them or seem like a know-it-all or just ghost them, especially since I'm the one coming in for help. Emma, I totally hear your concern here and also see that you are a considerate, kind person. I wonder if we were at a restaurant, would you tell our server if the kitchen got your order wrong? In that kind of situation, I would encourage you to speak up. The person providing the service to you here needs to know so they can either address the situation and you can really get what you need. And you came to therapy because you needed help. I trust that you're a tactful person and that you can deliver feedback in a way that isn't an attack on your therapist. Just keep it simple and stick to the facts. If you told your therapist what you just wrote in to tell me, I think that's a really great starting point. And remember, this type of situation happens all the time. Your therapist is an expert in psychology and other clinically mandated skills. They aren't necessarily an expert in you. So the sooner you have this conversation, the sooner you can move on to getting the expert help that you need from a person who you truly connect with. I hope that's been helpful or at least somewhat reassuring. We want to hear from you. Send us your therapy etiquette-related questions at don'tasktig.org. Thanks to our sponsor, BetterHelp. Now let's get back to our conversation with the hilarious Karen Kilgareth. Karen, it's time for our last segment, and we call this one Come Back to Me Later. Everyone wishes they had the perfect response at the ready for certain social interactions. Come back to me later is the segment where we make that wish come true. Peyton writes, 25 years ago when I was 18, I left my small town to be on one of the very first reality shows. I had no idea what I was getting into. And when the show aired, I had a hard time adjusting to being in a national spotlight. The poor choices I made in my teens and early 20s just kept coming back up over and over. Now I'm 43, married to a wonderful man, have two young kids, and have done a lot of work to heal, but I still get recognized occasionally and realize this isn't going away no matter how much I'd like it to. I'd like to own it a little more gracefully, but how do I do that? I absolutely empathize. I auditioned for Real World San Francisco when I was 19. Oh. And every day I thank the Lord that I just sent in a tape and never heard anything back. Because can you imagine? (laughs) I would be permanently devastated because I was a lunatic. And like, you would not be sitting here today if you were on the Real World San Francisco. No way. No. I think the children of today 
are much more empathetic than maybe you think. Like, yeah, I get it. You don't want people in the grocery store be like, oh, were you that jerk or something? That feels bad. But if if you're thinking of it in terms of like the way people look at pop culture, I feel like a lot of people are very smart about knowing that the early people on reality shows did not know what they were signing yeah, up for. Yeah, they didn't know it was coming. Mm-mm. They get a pass for sure. I think so, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. But it sounds like he's still running into this where people are coming up and saying something and it seems like it's unavoidable, but like, what should he say to be graceful in those moments? I mean, I know without even having a history of being on a reality show, there's still times where being a public figure where you hope you can be more graceful or you wish you would have been, or sometimes you can't. And it's just kind of part of the the whole bag. I think there's a really something, and they gave the answer themselves, really, where it's like, if you can fake a laugh, mm-hmm. you know, act as if, the old AA style, act as if, and then be like, I know, can you imagine if you were on a reality show when you were 19? Like, yeah. turn it back of like, what would your... What would, how bad would you feel right now? Because, like, you can see how bad uh-huh. you want me to feel. Where just like, yeah, we're, God forbid there, there would be video going around of the bullshit I was doing, <laughs> like, in my early 20s. God, I, it's horrifying. Or, yeah, you could say, like, uh, you know what? Thankfully, there's a new chapter in life, or thankfully, life goes on and there's twists and turns, and here's my new twist and turn in life. And, uh, you know. Yeah, how about it's been 30 years? Luckily, that's, you know, I've put some time between me and that. Don't old make me of grow me. a mustache. How about that? <laughs> That's what I tell everyone. Don't make me grow a mustache. Oh, she'll do it too. (laughs) I think you have to get right with yourself a little bit Mm -hmm. so that it just doesn't bother you as much. Mm -hmm. But I am not saying that in a dismissive way because I really do think it's unfair Mm -hmm. how truly railroaded people on early reality shows were. I mean, it was like there was kind of no morals about it. Everybody was cast as a person. So it was like, you're the bitch, you're the drunk girl, you're the asshole, you're the racist, you're the whatever, you know? That's how they produced those shows. It was all for maximum conflict. Aren't they still like that or no? Not really? I think so, but I think people are so hip now. Mm. Like every people know how to be on TV now. Mm. So Mm -hmm. they know, I think it would have been really easy if it was like 19... 92 or whatever to forget truly forget the cameraman's there right if this person's or like camera they, woman or camera or, person or camera person um my apologies i'm <laughs> very sexist <laughs> but like if this is a person who was on say big brother mm-hmm. my heart bleeds for you or babe, big because- sister <laughs> or big person or big person <laughs> which please don't body shame that person right yeah just Maybe figure out a way to make a T-shirt with your face on it and kind of turn the tide with merch. Mm-hmm. How about this? Okay. A person comes up and says, hey, are you that person that I used to see on the reality show? And then they pull a magician's bouquet of flowers out of their sleeve. Mm-hmm. Graceful. Very. Distracting. There you are, Peyton. I think Karen <laughs> has the answer for you. And after you hand them fake flowers out of your 
sleeve of the t-shirt that has your face on it. (laughs) (laughs) So you have it way down in your armpits (laughs) because it's a short sleeve It's crumpled up on your chest um, (laughs) and you pull it out through your armhole. But yeah, just I think you need to find a way to understand why you went on the reality show, forgive yourself somehow through therapy or for doing whatever it is that you did that is uncomfortable for you, and then just do a lighthearted like reference to where your life is now and that that was a step that led you to the incredible life that you have now, 25 years later, and have a good day, right? Yeah. Or? I have one more. Mm Mm-hmm. That was my twin. Mm. Goodbye. That was my twin, Clayton. That was (laughs) Clayton and Peyton, the twins that live down the street. (laughs) Oh, invite them over to your birthday party. One Um, got on the reality show and one didn't. And one became a neurosurgeon. That's right. Oh, you're thinking of my twin, Peyton. (laughs) I'm the smart one, Clayton. Clayton. Peyton, have we first it? of all, best of luck. And Karen, yeah, we've done it. That is the end of the show. We did it. Wow. That was that went fast. It flies. Do you think we helped anybody? No. I never have. <laughs> <laughs> no way. It's impossible. No, I think we may have helped a couple oh, people. Yeah, maybe, maybe we did. Maybe. Yeah. It's been a real hoot to have you, Karen. And thank uh, you so much for having me. It was fun to make up answers to real problems. Karen, what would you <laughs> like to promote? I have a podcast called My Favorite Murder with George Hardstark. And I have a podcast called Do You Need a Ride with the great Chris Fairbanks. And both of them are on the Exactly Right Podcast Network. Incredible. And that's it. I really always enjoy seeing you and talking to you. And I'll say it every day that I can. <laughs> You're one of the funniest people that I know. Thank you. And I just can't wait for the big bump that your uh, podcasts are going to get from my podcast. (laughs) Yes. So uh, do not ask me, Tig. All right. Uh, Thank you. I adore you. It's been so fun talking to you. Mm -hmm. Let's do it in real life. Yes, please. This is the life I want to be leading. I want Finn to tell me when to go to bed. I want my life to be organized by your child. Karen, it's getting late. It's almost 8 o'clock. We should be taking a bath and in our pajamas by now. All right, Karen. Well, thank you again. Absolutely. And goodbye. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye. And don't forget, Don't Ask Tig will be taking a short summer break, but we will be back with more episodes soon. In the meantime, I'm still on the road doing live and in-person shows on my Hello Again tour, like San Diego, July 23rd, and other shows near you, I'm sure. Tickets are at tignotaro.com. I'll see you there.
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Sound mixing by Derek Ramirez and Rachel Breeze. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. Hi, I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 